What if every day you had the chance to experience more love and intimacy in your life? We're going to be sharing stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. Enjoy this podcast with Dawn Richard. Wake up to real love. Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, also known as The Awakening with Dawn, and this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I'm super honored and excited today to introduce my new friend, Valentine Stockdale. Hi, Valentine. Hi. (laughs) So happy you're here with me. Thank you. Me too. Uh, Valentine is a strategy advisor and investment readiness consultant for conscious entrepreneurs and ethical brands focused on changing the world. He currently serves as managing director of Sustainable Economic Development Group Blueprints, uh, regenerating the economies of indigenous communities around the world. He's also the co-founder of the World Indigenous Forum and more recently World Indigenous Carbon, which is a brand new venture launching next week helping conscious corporates to reach carbon neutrality through protecting and regenerating the Amazon rainforest. OMG, Valentine, you got a big mission. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I met Valentine recently in another group uh, that we both belong to, and I just found his his mission fascinating. And then after having a really long conversation a few weeks ago, it was like, oh yes, you have an amazing story and so much wisdom uh, to share with the world. So I'm so happy you're here with me today. I'm so happy to be able to contribute to what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So my little icebreaker question, Um, because you're a chess chess fanatic, have you been watching the Queen's Gambit? Of course I have. Absolutely. What do you think of it? My son, my son just um, introduced it to me like last two weeks ago. He's like, oh, mom, I think you'd find this really fascinating. I mean, I think the first thing that really struck me was how incredible the performance was of the lead actress. Um, and I, I mean, at the same time as being a terribly sad story, it's also, it's got such a powerful feel-good factor. And it's so interesting to see um how what 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 a grandmaster looks like on a day-to-day basis i've always wanted to know kind of what they're like how they think how they behave mm-hmm. um and it's such a fascinating insight into um into really what what obsession does to you when you're using it for, for something constructive mm-hmm. yeah i mean the whole well the the whole story is so bizarre <laughs> you know how she was orphaned and then they give these kids drugs <laughs> tranquilizers and you know i mean her whole like world as a young girl is just uh trippy <laughs> trippy yeah. really yeah really really and yeah it's extraordinary extraordinary life to be a celebrity to be a you know somebody that's so revered by everybody um because of the one thing they're good at mm-hmm. um and how that can so easily sort of bring them to believe that they're better than everybody um but yet they still continue to be 
their obsession takes them to the point where they just outperform everybody's expectations and it's just so credible um but quite a you know quite a dangerous and slippery slope well and how um you know it's how her her mind also um plays tricks on her and 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 in a sense really isolates her from the rest of the world yeah yeah that's yeah really sad and so how i mean um because it's trippy <laughs> and we're talking and we're talking about you know how her, she was so involved in these mind altering um drugs uh which which enhanced her ability to yeah. to look from a different perspective at her um at her obsession right not extraordinary and so this actually really relates to your own experience of um, learning about plant medicine. Yeah, sure. So how, how in the world did you get into that? Well, I was part of a small group of tech entrepreneurs when I was in my mid-20s um, that we used to meet regularly um, in different pubs around London, and eventually, I came to understand that the three of the three others were engaged in spiritual medicines, and um, it was only about ten years later when I had become very ill um, from sort of self-destructive behaviours that I eventually insisted that I be allowed to. Um, experience one of these medicines this one in particular was called iboga mm -hmm. and iboga is um, very very well known for um, disrupting negative behavioral patterns um, often um, permanently disrupting them so there's a lot lots of stories of people that have for example been addicted to drugs or been been uh, even even drugs as powerful as heroin where they wow. use heroin every every single day uh, for years and then gone and done iboga and then never touched heroin ever again and this sort of reputation for disrupting negative behavioral patterns was sounded like exactly what it was that i needed mm -hmm. um, and i did eventually go to holland um, to engage in a ceremony and it was absolutely mind-blowing and they describe it as 10 years of psychotherapy in 48 hours wow um, and that's so intense yeah, it's really intense. Um, I think at one point I cried for about six hours um, and I was crying through gritted teeth and I was trying not to make too much noise because the poor people next to me were obviously trying to have their own experiences. And um, so you're, you're sort of in a dark room, um, in, in our case, uh, 18 of us on, on mattresses all around the room. And you have a, a shaman who in, in our case was um, he'd done thousands of ceremonies and um, he was trained by the Gwiti people um, uh, in Gabon, where, um, where the, the plant is native to. It's actually, um, it, it's actually described as the national treasure of Gabon, this particular I plant. I don't even um, know where Gabon is. Uh, it's a nation in Africa. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, it's illegal to export this particular plant, except if you have a special license, because it's considered so important to the heritage of the country. Wow. Um, rather like the sort of crown jewels of the United Kingdom. And, uh -huh. um, and yeah, and so what this 
plant did was over the course of these two days, it showed me a whole range of events throughout my childhood that I had completely forgotten, um, mainly because they seemed completely inconsequential. Like, um, like and, what? Like what? Well, like a conversation with my father where something, something happened. And I don't know exactly what it was. There was something in the conversation triggered. It was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I decided at that moment, um, the world and everyone in it is inherently cruel. And this was um, what you might call a self-limiting belief. Right. That I, that I had decided, and I believe I was aged um, somewhere between six and eight, um, when of course I didn't know any better. And it's quite, it's quite normal for children to make these sort of crazy assessments of the world because, mm -hmm. you know, if they've never seen anything other than cru cru cruelness, cruelty, um, and, and sort of abuse and abandonment and neglect and all the different um, traumatic experiences that children often go through, it's quite natural for a child to make an assessment like that. Um, but what then happens is that the child continues to believe that and carries that belief all the way into their adult life. And it, it, it becomes like a subconscious um, sub programming program. Yeah. And it's running in the background and it basically causes a whole range of different behaviors um, and patterns of behavior that are basically self-destructive. Mm -hmm. And um, so we as adults look at the way we behave and we look at the way we treat people and look at the way we react to certain stimuli. And we say, I just don't understand why I do that kind of thing. And this is the sort of thing that Iboga and these sort of spiritual medicines help you to understand. Um, so you, you go, you, you know, you, you do the medicine, you go into a trance, you go back, you have these experiences and you say, oh, I, I get it. I realize now that I made that decision. I made that assessment. And then you see the kind of wasteland that, that has resulted from this childish and, and very unfortunate assessment that you've made. Um, and, um, and for some reason, the plant then enables you to I mean, you sit up in bed and you take out your notebook and you say, I understand now that the reason that I've always been treating people that way is because this is this was an assessment I made as a child and it's and it was wrong. And I get that. Mm -hmm. And I and what a disaster that has been for me. And now I'm going to put it to bed. And for some reason, um, whereas normally um, your New Year's resolution lasts a week, this plant somehow manages to to it's, it's entheogenic it allows your brain to create new neural pathways mm -hmm. so it doesn't just show you doesn't just show you these traumatic events and these and, and give you clarity over these terrible decisions that you've made or opinions that you've formed or belief systems that you've adopted from other people um but it but it enables you to completely bypass them permanently um, and so you then come out of the ceremony two days later, having got, you know, pages of notes about, you know, oh, my God, what the hell have I been doing for the last 15 years? Yeah. Um, now I understand why I, all my relationships have broken up. Now I understand why I can't get on with my brother. Now I understand why um, I seem to accept being underpaid every single day. Now I understand why I allow my boyfriend to beat me up about all the time and I don't ever do anything about it. Now I understand, you know, and you just get this phenomenal level, level of clarity, um, which some people call divine clarity. Um, and, you know, whether or not it comes from somewhere else or whether or not it's just, 
latent knowledge sitting in your mind that you can't access for some other reason, probably because of some sort of cognitive dissonance you've got going on. You've got lots of conflicting views and conflicting opinions that all clash together and prevent you from, you know, seeing things as clearly as, of course, we'd all hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you come out of this this ceremony with all this clarity and it's very, very hard to slip back into your old behavioral patterns. Um, it does happen. And so they say that you should you should seek out support um, for the following months so that you can talk with a specialist about what you've understood, um, preferably a psychologist or a therapist of some kind, mm-hmm. um, so that they can help you make sense of it and start to integrate your new learning into your daily life as it continues from that point. Um, and um, yeah, some, some people say you only need to do it three or four times in your life. Other people seem to want to do it every weekend. Um, but um, yeah. Ah, is, that, is that dangerous to do every weekend? Gosh, I wouldn't like to say. I think, I think the thing is that some of these indigenous medicines can be dangerous. And I think the issue is not the medicine itself, um, but the organizers that are basically not fit to run the ceremonies because they don't understand the, the nature of the health implications. Um, you know, they'll let someone leave the ceremony to go back to a dormitory or to a, or to a bed, and then the person will run into very severe trouble at some point because they're unsupervised. Uh-huh. Um, that seems to be, you know, or they let them get on a motorbike or something ridiculous like that in the jungle. And um, so people, most, I think pretty much, yeah, the vast majority of people that have problems with the medicines are for that reason. Um, But there are also a very long list of um, pharmaceuticals, um, by which I mean prescription drugs and and lots of other things as well, um, that you cannot be consuming at the same time, or you will have uh, a severe allergic reaction or, or some kind of reaction during the ceremony, which will make it a miserable affair, mm-hmm. um, if not be very, very dangerous. And you do need to, you do need to be fully aware of that list and make sure that you are um, clear of all that stuff before you go into the ceremony and your organizer should insist on it and, um, and make sure that you get your heart checked for some of them, because some of them are, potentially very problematic for people who have weak hearts. Mm-hmm. I would I would think that you would need a, a really high-level shaman, you know, somebody that has integrated their, the medicine in their whole life, and so they understand all of the ins and outs um, and have experienced, you know, because, because you've told me um, your experience, and I've had a couple of people that I – no went through ayahuasca ceremonies, which are similar, you know, plant medicine, um, where they, they were like puking for hours and crying for hours and being really, really frightened for hours, um, during this process. And so like for me, I think, oh my gosh, I'm scared of what's going to come up. Right. Is that, were you, were you afraid when you, when you went in? Nervous. Um, yeah, I think um, I would add. To, I would add that it's not just about finding a really professional and experienced shaman. It's also about finding one that is compassionate, mm-hmm. because if you are in the depths of uh, a sort of negative spin, 
where you're suddenly paranoid or whatever may be going on, it, you need somebody who is going to look after you. At that of moment. course, of course. Um, and somebody who recognizes that you, that you need that and is willing to do that rather than somebody who tells you to go off on your own and sort your, sort yourself out. No, I would, um, no, I would think that you would have to have, um, a, like a, like a sacred safe container around you to hold you in that space. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And the vomiting is, you know, is very much part of it. And you, you, you go in understanding that and you will, you should get a proper brief by the ceremony organizers before you go in so that you're uh -huh. prepared. Um, and of course you only drink water for the sort of 24 hours beforehand. So, um, it's not, it's not as messy as you might think. Um, and, um, um, but it is, it is emotionally demanding and, you know, crying for six straight hours. The point really of, 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 you know, if you imagine crying for six hours, you can imagine that the amount of unprocessed pain that you have just got out of your system. And a lifetime, a lifetime of pain. Yeah, childhood of pain. Um, it really is. I mean, the, the, what they say is that, and particularly um, Carl Jung um, put forward the idea that we all have something called the shadow, um, which some people call the pain body, which is a collection of trauma um, and parts of our personality that we have rejected. Um, so it may be that you have a particularly conservative parents uh, or family and they tell you that a whole range of different behaviours are absolutely wrong. Um, and so, you, you know, you may you may want to dance, you may want to dance professionally, but your parents tell you that dancing is 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 pathetic or whatever they may say. And so you so you suppress part of your personality and that part of your personality eventually becomes part of your your shadow. And um but, you know, if you're neglected, if you're abandoned, there'll be a whole rate that lots and lots of things contribute to your shadow. And the bigger your shadow gets, the more um, the more you're going to suffer, basically, in, in your life. And um, part of the, the plant medicines is, is about um, facing your shadow and right. um, observing it and trying to reclaim parts of parts of you that you have shut away. Um, and your body compartmentalizes a lot of pain when you suffer serious trauma so that you don't have to face all of it. And um, so in order to get back kind of your emotional range, um, then it's, it's a case of actually going into that pain and experiencing that pain in a safe place with, where you're supported by, you know, a, a spiritual guide and his team of people that are there to look after you um, and, and processing that pain and experiencing it um, and so that you do flush it out of your system. And once that's gone, you know, the world looks a very, very different place and you become, you know, increasingly more useful to people around you and increasingly um, you can shine brighter and be a better influence on people. Mm -hmm. um, because you're, you know, the, the brain is not bogged down by this terrible um, unprocessed shadow. Mm -hmm. Can we can we talk a little bit about your experience um, with your shadow? Because I know that you you had a lot of struggles growing up, and I think 
I think that it's really important. This is this is one of the reasons. This is one of the primary reasons why I wanted to start this podcast is because I wanted to normalize people's struggles because this is this is why we shut down a, a lot of times. This is why we shut down. This is why we hide. This is why we, um, you know, use these like protective mechanisms in our life to uh, not express what's really going on with ourselves because we have to live up to some expectation of who other people think we should be, you know? So like things, either things that, either things that um, parents or teachers or, you know, whoever out in the world says you shouldn't do this, right? Like you were talking about the dance example, you know? And so there are parts of yourself that you hide or there are parts of yourself that have been hurt because other people couldn't manage their own emotional space. And so then they project it onto you. And then it causes you to sort of question, you know, who, who am I? I mean, you talked about this identity crisis. Um, so this is one of the reasons why I wanted to invite you because you have so much um, to share about your own experiences of dealing with your own shadows and how you struggled uh, how you struggled in your life and and why you were brought to Ibago in the first place. Sure. Um, I think I have I've experienced my shadow twice and both times it scared me to death. Um, first time I was um, it was an ayahuasca ceremony last year um, no, it was 18 months ago. And um, for the first time, I recognized in myself a, a sort of seed of really frightening um, impulses mm-hmm. that um, I'm very pleased to say I don't ever act on. Um, and I think that um, I felt the impulses really powerfully and I thought, Jesus, that's frightening. Um, I didn't recognize myself at all. And, um, and when I came out of it about 40 minutes later, I went and I lay down and, and I, I nearly had a panic attack, um, cause I was so disappointed, um, and what I ultimately learned from that experience was that I, if, I can, if I can cope with that, then I can cope with anything. There is nothing in the world that I will ever come across that will frighten me as much as that did. Um, and, and so over the following two days, I felt an unbelievable surge of strength, personal strength. I felt strong. I felt absolutely, um, I was really proud of myself. Um, and, um, second time I experienced it was not that long ago. It was about, uh, three or four months ago and it was the same thing, but I had a little bit more detail around it. And it was almost like it was, it was like a really, really petulant child who, um, who, who's vindictive, really vindictive, petulant child mm-hmm. um, who doesn't have any idea what's good for it. 
or what's good for other people and doesn't care um, and just wants to lash out. And I think that, um, and then, and then, and I was sort of observing it thinking, bloody hell, you're so ugly. Um, and I'm so ashamed of this. And then what I realized was that there was another part of me that was like a sort of angelic choir boy um, that, that, was, that was so much more powerful that the petulant child didn't stand a chance. Um, and I think that, and I, uh, everything that I've been told um, by all the people that I've spoken to about this is that everybody has this and it's it's just one of those things about, about being human. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you look at the yin-yang symbol, and I know that that's more to do with sort of the feminine and the masculine, but you've got, you've got the sort of tear shape and then right in the middle you've got, you know, the opposite. And it's almost like in every good there's a seed of bad and in every bad there's a seed of good. And that's that's very much... You can see that in all facets of life, but I saw it in myself. And I think um, it's, you know, and it's apparently it's, it's a mistake to feel guilty about it. It's a mistake to, to be afraid of it. It's a mistake to, um, um, to want to get rid of it. Um, the, the correct application of energy is a sense of compassion towards it. Um, because ultimately it's not your fault. Um, it's just, you know, I guess it's what, it's the result of the human condition. It's the result of um, the, the, the terrible trauma of being a human being um, and um, being, you know, subject to the, the traumas of, the people around you who are suffering themselves and who are passing on their suffering to you without your permission, um, inadvertently, unconsciously, and you take the full brunt of that a lot of the time. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you've had a really, really nasty time and you've had a really nasty time for a long time, um, you can imagine how that seed will be quite a lot bigger. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you will want to lash out regularly. And of course, that's what prisons, prisons are for. Um, they're full of people that cannot control their shadow. Um, well, they, they just got caught doing it. I mean, there are plenty of people who are not <laughs> imprisoned <laughs> who can't control their shadows. Well, well, that's right. Um, and I, I, you know, at the same time as being very frightened by what I saw, I was very, very relieved to see that there was this angelic choir boy, um, which, which is very much a sort of manifestation of, what I took from my mother, um, her sort of sense of integrity and beautiful nature and healing, a very, very powerful desire to heal people, mm -hmm. um, which apparently I'm supposed to have inherited. And the fact that that is so much, is, can overpower by a factor of a thousand, this very petulant, vindictive child is, again, a source of enormous relief and, um, you know, but the, 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 the petulant, um, indignant child is the child who's afraid, you know, is the child who's been very, very hurt by people who claimed to love and care for the child 
or who claimed to um, in some way uh, pretend to create a safe container for the child and that safety and sense of trust was broken. I mean, these are, these are all of the things that you have experienced personally and that you um, and that so many, so many people experience all these traumas, you know, where, where people in authority break their trust, break the trust of the child. So the child doesn't know how to make sense of who's safe in the world. And so then you have this internal sense of, I can't trust anybody. I can't trust myself. I don't know why these things happened. Um, and it's angry. It's angry as well, you know. Of course it's angry because it's like, fuck you, you're supposed to take care of me. Yeah. And then, of course, um, apparently there is the phenomenon whereby the child who um, operates on the automatic belief that their parents are perfect um, because it can't cope with any other possible interpretation, um, therefore assumes that if it is being abused by the parents, that therefore it, the child, is at fault. At fault and imperfect. Um, mm-hmm. and, there, and there begins very often um, um, what you would call a chronic self-esteem issue, um, which was another thing that I, I had a very serious problem with, but didn't even know about it until, until I did Iboga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is that you, on the surface, as an adult, as a 32, 33-year-old, 34-year-old adult, I knew that I was a decent, loving human being and because I knew the way I felt about animals and I knew the way I felt about the people I cared about. I wanted the best for them. I didn't want anybody to get hurt. I didn't mm-hmm. want to make anybody's life uncomfortable. Um, I knew I was a decent human being, but... This sub, but subconsciously, um, I was under the impression that I was valueless, um, and that was because of the pattern of behaviour that I was subjected to all the way through my childhood. And because we don't have access to the subconscious, because it's a subroutine that you know you, you can access it through hypnotherapy, you can access it through s- some of these indigenous medicines, you can access it um, through neurolinguistic programming, and there's, there's I think there's more more modalities as well, but ultimately on a day-to-day basis you are not aware of what's going on in your subconscious and so if you believe i'm i'm a decent human being but your subconscious is saying you're valueless you're valueless um then you will unconsciously compensate for that and that that was one of the things that i used to do was um you know buy the most expensive everything rent the most expensive flat have the most expensive watch um and because I was, yeah. Um, and then when you realize through, you know, indigenous medicine that you have been, that you have had this perception of zero value subconsciously, um, it's extraordinary the amount of, amount of changes that you observe when you come out of the ceremony. Um, there's just no need to, to, to compensate anymore. Um, mm-hmm. You just witness this extraordinary change in your behavior. Um, you know, you stop dating the wrong people, stop associating with unhealthy friends, um, you stop stopping interested in social media. I mean, it's extraordinary. Um, 
But when, but when you're in the, when you're in the midst of it, you don't even have the awareness that these people are unhealthy. No, that's right. No. And, and when you're, when you're hurting, um, you know, birds of a feather flock together, that's a sort of, you know, part of the, um, well, attraction, isn't it? You, 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 you gravitate towards people that feel the same as you and that understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. And of course, by doing that, you associate with the very people that are likely to pull you down further. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you come out of one of these ceremonies and you realise that you have no need to compensate anymore, you suddenly, not only do you have clarity over your own behavioural patterns and why you do them, but you can then see it in everyone else as well. And that's one of the reasons I was told. Um, it, it's quite common for people after they've done an Indigenous medicine to find it quite difficult to integrate back into society because you look around and you see everyone else's trauma. Mm. Um, and, um, but I would, rather, I would rather it that way than be self-destructive. So how, how, what was your, what was your wake up call in your own destruction that, that, that said, I don't want to live this way anymore? Um, fear, I think. Fear that I wasn't going to live to my son, to see my son's 18th birthday. And why did you have that fear, that particular fear? Um, let's just say very unhealthy behavioral patterns. So like self-destructive? Yeah, not consciously self-destructive. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly I was mixed up with the wrong people. Mm-hmm. And did you... No, not uh, not did bad you... people, just... Not, not bad people, but just people who didn't respect their bodies, people who didn't respect their minds, people who didn't, didn't care what they did for a living, um, people who were unconscious. Uh-huh. And um, very difficult living in a city to avoid that if you're not aware of what's going on. Uh-huh. And when you... This is, this is the thing that I... Um, I feel like when you're in those self-destructive moments, um, you feel a real, even if you're hanging around a lot of different kinds of people, there's still this deep, deep sense of disconnection and loneliness. I agree. Um, And while I would certainly agree that it's a deep, deep feeling, I don't think you necessarily recognize it as such. Mm -hmm. It's easy to gloss over it with an attractive lover, even though they may be the most unhealthy person you've met Mm -hmm. in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's easy to gloss over it by by a bit of retail therapy. Uh Trying to fill yourself up with things outside of yourself yeah and that by going to the pub with a few mates and having a nice dinner you know cheer mm-hmm. yourself up a bit mm-hmm. it'll be fine i'll find someone next week mm-hmm. we, and- we you know the, the, our capacity for delusion is extraordinary <laughs> 
Well, it's 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 lit. It's little literally like trying to find your next fix, right? Like, what is the thing that's going to make me feel momentarily better? Um, and 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 it helps for you know a few minutes or a few hours, but then you go home and you're like, now what? Yeah, and it's greatly accentuated by the constant availability of pretty much whatever you want. You know, whether you want to get a Chinese takeaway or you want to go, um, you know, to a nightclub at four o'clock in the morning, there is always something available these days. Distractions. Yeah. Um, they've made sure of it. Who, who they and why? Well, the, 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 the markets. You know, nightclub owners who, 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 who want more revenue will buy an extra license, an extra late license. So they cater for the needs of people who, <laughs> who are trying to forget, you know, mm -hmm. who are, who are trying to forget all of the deep pain and hurt that they carry around with them. Yeah. Yeah. What's rather annoying about it is that, um, if you are one of those people, you are absolutely not going to admit it in a normal conversation with somebody like me. Um, it's an absolute waste of time trying to point out to somebody that they are unconscious. Um, I know because I've tried, <laughs> but it honestly does not work. Well, and, um, and that's and that's a judgment too, which is part of it's part of the shadow is that judgment and shame. You know that that you feel about yourself, or that you project onto other people, like they yeah. like the like the good bad. When you were talking about the yin yang, I mean, you know that um, that I think it's a Japanese story about a man who lost his horse. Do you, do you know this? It's like, oh, that's good. Oh, that's bad. And oh, yes, the, and and then the and then the son the son broke his leg. Oh, that's bad. Oh, but it prevented him from going to war. Oh, that's good. You know, I love that. I love that story. It's so helpful. Yeah, it's like every wow. everything um, that you put a judgment on, you don't know how it will and how the experience will unfold. Absolutely right. And so, and so it's almost like you could say that everything has both a, a negative and a positive outcome that um, you might even say, given enough time, balance each other out. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you can't see the, the, the positive outcomes of a specific event, but that's because you haven't been around long enough. Wait yeah. a thousand years, you probably see a whole cottage industry created just around that event that tr transformed societies, you know. Well, and that's, you know, this was part of my own learning process in my marriage. You know, I, I had so much pain and struggle and I kept asking myself, why, why, why? But none of my last, you know, couple of years would have happened, including this podcast, um, if I hadn't experienced that. You know, so I'm taking this thing that was so painful for me and trying to share this, you know, share a message of love and acceptance, you know, because I judged myself a lot during the whole thing. And um, I had to come to this place where it's like, 
yeah, I'm not, I'm not perfect. And I don't always deal with things in the best and most constructive way. And I've learned a lot of lessons and I've grown so much. And, you know, my life has taken on like new purpose and meaning because of this really painful situation. Absolutely. I think that it was a very nice moment when I eventually realized that I wouldn't change anything that's happened to me. Mm. Um, and the reason is because everything that's happened to me has led me to where I am now. And where I am now, I am extremely happy. Um, and the universe, um, I was given a book when I was um, 17, I believe, um, by my stepmother. And it's called Life is a Game, These are the Rules. Mm. It's written by an American psychologist called Sherry Carter Scott. And it's, um, I used to buy copies of it and give it to people. It's, it's a stunningly brilliant book. And the, I think it's about 50 chapters and every chapter is about a page and a half long. And um, the chapter index just lists the human virtues. And uh, so chapter number one is about acceptance. Um, chapter two is gratitude. Chapter three is some patience and then tolerance and, you know, grace. And, um, and the chapter on gratitude said, I cried because I had no shoes until I saw a man who had no feet. Mm -hmm. Um, and you suddenly realize, God, that's right, isn't it? I'm so lucky. I'm so, so lucky. Um, but um, realizing that realizing that I wouldn't want to change anything because life throws at you these these lessons, basically. And if you if you recognize what life is trying to teach you or the universe is trying to teach you. Um, and you take it on board and you integrate it into your thinking and you and you make a commitment to to operate on that basis from now on, then life doesn't then throw you another test. Um, whereas if you, if you don't pay attention and uh, life will keep throwing the same test at you until eventually you listen. Um, and if you, look at, if you look at life that way, then everything that's happened to me, it's like the only mistakes you make in life are the ones that you don't learn from. Mm. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you truly pay attention to what the universe is trying to teach you and you integrate into your thinking um then you constantly upgrade yourself and you grow as a human being and you become a brighter star and you can shine brighter and that means you can be a more positive influence on all the people around you and that in turn raises their brightness so they can shine brighter and that ultimately i think is is our collective mission um, and um but yeah to to to, to have no regrets about this, the pain that you've suffered is a very very powerful place to be well and even <clears throat> not not only the pain that you suffered but the pain you also inflicted <laughs> that's hard that's hard i mean you know certainly there are lots of things that i would i would undo if i could mm -hmm. Um, but I would like to think that the people that I have harmed along the way through inaction as well as action, um, will at some point come to the same place, which is that everything that they've suffered was an opportunity for them to learn something. Mm -hmm. um, and to upgrade the way they think and the way they 
treat people and the way they treat themselves and what they're prepared to put up with and what they're not prepared to put up with. Um, I think that's so a big, can, big part of... Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, certainly I'd be prepared to apologize to anybody that I've ever harmed. Mm -hmm. um, um, but yeah. I, I think part, I, of it, part of it also is, is about being compassionate to yourself. That's what I was just going to say. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a very difficult thing to do, I think, for a lot of people. Um, Self-compassion, it's not, it's, you know, very, I, I think it's quite rare to, for anybody to hear those two words used in conjunction. Um, just like self-love mm -hmm. seems like a, seems like a weird concept, self-love, you know, how does that work? Um, but I think being compassionate to yourself, you know, not beating yourself up about your failures. At the same time, you've got to, you've got to hold yourself to account, haven't you? You've got to, you've got to take responsibility for where you go next. Um, but yeah, I don't believe in, I don't believe in judging myself too harshly. Well, that I, I think, um, I think, compassion for others uh, often comes easier to us. You know, like if you saw somebody hurting, more than likely you wouldn't just walk past them or step over them or, um, you know, but at the same time, if you're suffering in a similar way, you're not as kind to yourself and patient. You know, like if a friend came to you with a certain situation and you would you would hold this, you know, safe space for them to just be and express. And you'd be like, hey, you know, you try to encourage them and be supportive of them and be kind and loving to them um, and not judgmental. But when, when you turn that to yourself, it's much more difficult to do. And I don't, I mean, this is, this is all part of this journey of waking up. It's like, you know, learning how to give ourselves the things that we offer to others, um, or if people if people aren't offering this to us, then we need to learn how to offer it to ourselves. And so, you know, all of this compassion and non-judgment and acceptance—they're all part of this um, journey of recognizing that we are worthy of love, both from ourselves and from the, you know, universe. Absolutely. I do think that I've seen so many cases of people being theoretically good at looking after other people, but very bad at looking after themselves. Mm -hmm. And as you very rightly say, they apply these very compassionate, um, thoughts and practices to their loved ones, but they are very bad at applying the same level to themselves. And that's a tragedy. Um, and I think that's where self-love comes in. So after I did ayahuasca in 18 months ago, I came out of the ceremony and the organizers were clinical psychologists and all of the people that were in the ceremony with me were all, they either had PhDs in, in um, pharmaceuticals or um, 
or clinical psychology or um, they worked with psychedelic medicines at different universities so it was almost like a it was almost like a professional association that mm -hmm. had been asked to do this they were all friends of the organizer but ultimately at the end of the ceremony i said to one of the organizers so obviously i've done iboga before and i know that you know 95 percent of the work is done in the two days of the ceremony but then five percent of the work is done over the following six months, which is the process they call integration. Mm -hmm. And I said, so what, what am I, what, what do you suggest I focus on for the next six months? And, and they said, oh, you wouldn't believe it. It's really simple. It's just one thing. And I remember thinking, that's awesome. What on earth would it be? Um, and they said, self-love. And I was like, self-love, gosh, that's interesting. I've never, I, and I had never heard those two words put together before. Really? Wow. Really? I know, and um, I didn't. I didn't know what it meant. And um, a lot of a lot of people don't know what that means. Absolutely. Um, I actually wrote a post on Facebook um, on my birthday two days ago, um, explaining to everybody what what self love is, and writing thirty nine examples of self love practices that they could use. For ex for example. Um, lighting some candles and putting them around a hot bathtub. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, and it's, as I wrote in the post, it's very easy for people to look at something like that and say, oh, that's so self-indulgent. Um, but the issue with that comment is it's indicative of the fact that the person doesn't believe that indulging themselves, that they don't believe they're worth it. Because, because indulgence seems, you know, has this connotation of being selfish. That's right. As opposed exactly. to I'm taking care of myself. Exactly. Um, you know, how many, how many people use moisturizer every single morning? Um, in the male population, probably hardly anybody. Right. Me too, exactly. Um, and, you know, people buy these sort of, you know, people might advise somebody um, who takes drugs to, 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 to stop taking drugs and then will go and, you know, drink two bottles of wine that same weekend. Mm -hmm. um, that is not an act of self-love at all. It's the sort of polar opposite. Um, and I think that, um, you know, abstaining from alcohol forever, that's an act of self-love. Um, um, you know, carving some time out of your day to do 10 minutes of meditation every day, that's an act of self-love. It's one of the best things that you can do for your mind, for your physiology, and people just can't be bothered. Um, and yeah, so self-love. But they're but they're not. Um, we're not conditioned to do these things. I mean, I think I, I think that that's why for me these conversations are so important because it's helping bring to awareness different possibilities of how you can live your life. You know, and that's why I think this time, this whole last year has been an opportunity. Oh, it's terrible. You know, it has been really hard and challenging for people, um, you know, who've lost work, who've lost loved ones, you know, who've suffered from COVID, you know, as well. Um, but it's given people an, an opportunity to reexamine, like, what is really meaningful and valuable to me? what is important in this life because it's not you know necessarily like going hang out and drinking over the weekend or 
you know, partying or, you know, whatever ways that we distract ourselves, you know, watching Netflix for days and hours and weeks and months on, on end. It's like, these are all, all of, all of the distractions, not all of them, but many of the distractions that we have typically used have been um, eliminated from our lives. You know, we haven't been able to, to do as, as much distracting of ourselves as we have been. And so I feel like this is nature's great reset. Absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I read the news every day. I, I shouldn't, but I do. And <laughs> I told you about that. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I just, oh, it's terrible. It's really annoying. Um, and that's not an act of self-love. That's an act in stressing yourself out needlessly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the suffering that is going on around the world as a result of the pandemic is so frightening and so much of it is economic um and um but you know at the same time i know so many people who say that this has been one of the best years of their lives um because they've had this opportunity to extract themselves from their normal routine mm-hmm. and um spend huge amounts of time with family and and, you know, go through a, a sort of intense period of introspection and working out, even though they may not have planned to do this, but they've sort of reevaluated their values and reevaluated mm-hmm. what, what's important in life. Right. And, um, you know, learning, learning how to be, learning how to be when you can't do so much. Yeah. Um, and it just goes goes to show that, you know, you can take any particular event in life and, you know, it has both very profound positive outcomes and very profound negative outcomes. Um, you just need to be around long enough to see, see them play out. Um, you know, one of the results of this pandemic is that we will be now infinitely more prepared when there is the next pandemic, which is really, 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 really serious. Um, so, you know, I feel, I feel very grateful that this pandemic was not like a bowler, you know. Um, yeah, but it's been a very, very tough year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and for me, I mean, I have made more connections in this year than I have, I don't know, maybe my entire life. I've made the best connections I've ever made in this year. The deepest, right? The deepest and most meaningful conversations you've ever had. Yes. Yes. And the things that I've learned this year have been the most important things I've ever learned. Like, like what? Well, I went to, I went to a retreat. um, And one of the things that I learned was that you don't need to know somebody personally in order to love them unconditionally. Mm. And that that really blew me away. And how do you, how do you do that? Well, I think that, I think first of all, you've got to be compassionate to yourself in order to be, in order to be compassionate to them. So in other words, it doesn't matter what they do or say Mm -hmm. um, or what they have done. Um, it's not relevant it just doesn't come into the it's not a factor in whether you love them or not Um, and I think another part of it is recognizing how 
ridiculously magical every single human being actually is. Um, if you look at the size of the cosmos, if you look at the amount of time it's been around, um, the, the fact that RNA manifested out of nothing and over the course of hundreds of thousands of years, millions, billions of years, resulted in you know, a race of humanoids that are basically composed of the very matter that comes out of the stars. Mm. It, it, we are magical. Um, and I think when you start to, when you, when, you, when you stand outside the pub and you look at the dude next to you and you remind yourself of what he's made up of, it's, it's easy then to remember that he's magical, but it, it, you do have to actively remind yourself even even when he's acting like a <laughs> what 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 do they what do they call them in britain wankers or something <laughs> at least i think i think it's also it also helps to understand what it means to be unconscious mhm to not be conscious of why you behave the way you behave, to not have ever done an, an exploration on that level, facilitated by an indigenous medicine or, or something like that, or mm -hmm. you know, um, you or some deep say, therapy. Yeah, you simply say the first thing that comes out of your mouth, and if people don't laugh, then you then you remind yourself to be a bit funnier next time. You don't ever stop and say. A, I shouldn't have said that. B, actually, I need to figure out why I said that. Mm -hmm. C, I need to make much more of an effort to catch myself next time I'm tempted to say something like that so that I don't blurt out something that's stupid. You know, people don't do that. People, you know, and that's what being unconscious means. You're just, you're just not familiar with your behavioral modalities. Mm -hmm. um, you don't draw the connection between what happened to you in your childhood and the way you speak to people. Mm -hmm. And, the, and, and recognizing the relationships you have or attract in your life or recognizing the friendships you have and attract in your life or the, exactly. business, or the business associations you attract in your life. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and the other things, like, for example, I remember once, I remember once in my early 30s saying to somebody that, and I'd and I just, I just done iboga and I was trying to understand my belief systems and I remember saying to somebody in a conversation I remember saying to my son that uh, a um what is it um a Maserati is a poor man's Ferrari and I suddenly thought hold on a second that's terribly judgmental isn't it and I was like where the hell did I get that from and I was like I remember that was something that my best friend used to say to me when I was 14 um, and I remember thinking that I respected him so much that he maybe he must be right and what I did was I took his opinion and mm -hmm. I adopted it as if it was my opinion that's it your truth uh-huh I knew nothing about Maseratis and I knew nothing about Ferraris and and it's a ridiculous thing to say isn't it it's so pretentious and um and that was one of the first examples I ever saw of where I had adopted someone else's opinion without ever having any basis for doing it. Right, that. right. And, and we do that as human beings. We do that a lot. Um, you know, we will, we, we, we are 
we believe stuff because we're conditioned by the media to believe that if we don't have perfect bodies that therefore we are substandard um, lovers that we're substandard partners you know and and it's not none of us believe that by ourselves we're fed this by you know and we've fed it so routinely that we adopt it and but we get other things from other people you know we'll, we'll be born into a catholic community and the only reason that we're catholic is because our parents have told us that's what we we, we should do it's been backed up by our grandparents the local priest has said the same thing and and there's no escape and so you so well, fine i will take christianity you've never read any other spiritual text so you've done no investigation of any kind but you mm -hmm. just assume someone else's religion and um you know we do this a lot as human beings and it's very very it's very troubling um that most people don't understand why they believe what they believe mm -hmm. um and that they are a collection of other people's beliefs and and they've been conditioned to believe in all these things you know i remember um being taught by my parents you need to eat three square meals a day and that was the common the common wisdom for for you know all the way through my childhood and then of course i read a, a book when i was much older that said you know you could your stomach can only digest what you can hold in in your two hands which is which is far less than a bowl of cereal um and yet, you know, Christmas lunch, we just gorge ourselves <laughs> you know, three, three meals a day. It's like right. absolute rubbish. Right. Absolute rubbish. Um, and that's part of being unconscious as well, is not understanding that everything that you've, not everything, but a very large amount of stuff that you have adopted in your belief system didn't come from you, didn't come from any rational assessment. It's just been, you know. But I, but I feel like it's important. I mean, because I did this with my kids too. You know, it's like um, I was raised Catholic and I was super involved in the church and, um, and I wanted my kids to be raised Catholic as well to have a foundation of something to which ask to, to be able to ask good questions later. So, you know, I, I feel like <clears throat> a lot of our education and uh, religious indoctrination is just that. <clears throat> and so you come to a place, you know, where you learn a basis for which to uh, for which to ask better questions and form your own opinions. Um, but you have to ask questions <laughs> and you have to constantly be searching and recognizing that, you know, the answers you can gather. You can gather information from all over the place, from different people, but you have to figure out what rings true for you. Yeah, sure. I think um, I, I remember being very impressed when my brother told me that Islam, which he converted to, required him to read all the religious texts. And I remember I remember thinking, are you serious? Wow. They're, honestly, they're honestly encouraging you to read, you know, the Buddhist texts and the Hindu texts. And um, I'm not sure he paid any attention to any of that stuff, but, um, <laughs> but anyway, he read it, I think. <laughs> and I remember thinking, what a sensible idea. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I, I certainly, the way I bring my son up is um, I tell him what I believe, um, but I make sure he understands that it's always just my opinion. Right. Uh, and that, um, and that, and that he, he, it's his, it's his job as a future man to form his own views. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I'll give him as much information as he wants on any given subject, but it will always be my view. Um, 
I make very, very certain that he understands that the priest who stands up in the pulpit has absolutely no idea what's going on. <laughs> um, because he doesn't. And, I, and that was one of the one of the problems that I that I had when I when I came out of reading the Bhagavad Gita, which is the Hindu Bible, which is stunningly beautiful, is I wanted so badly to adopt it. And I just realized it's written by human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Um, and we're all fallible. We're all human. The, the idea that any human being could possibly fathom the truth about the cosmos and about mm-hmm. the creator is so laughable. Um, yeah, I was reading the definition of humanism today. Um, and um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. They, they, they're either atheists or they're agnostic. But what they dispute fundamentally is that um, that any human being was ever given the truth by a deity. Mm. <laughs> and, some, and some say we're all deities. Well, I certainly felt that when I came out of the ayahuasca ceremony. <laughs> um, yeah, I think. That well, the, we're the we're all it, we're all made of stars. Well, that's 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 right, and and that's that's what I was encouraged to believe when I came out of the ayahuasca ceremony was um, that we are all stars, um, and yeah, it's fascinating. Like no no one or less more valuable or um, or uh, able to shine more brightly than the other. Well, I think, I don't know about that. I think some people do shine brighter. Um, I do think life is about finding the light and being infectious with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, if you consider that it's like, you know, 51% of our body is actually not human. It's made up of bacteria and microorganisms. So, you know, a very large part of us is not what we think it is. On top of that, there's more space in between our atoms than there are actually atoms. In other words, stuff passes through us all the time without us even noticing. It doesn't even touch a single one of our atoms. Wow. Um, so the fact that we, the fact that everything looks solid is kind of the illusion. The illusion, um, right. And if you think about how you communicate with people, you know, you open your mouth, your vocal cord vibrates, the, 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 everything vibrates, and that's how, you, that's how you receive it. And even the light is, you know, um, when, you, when someone's face, facial expressions changes and you, you observe that, it's through vibration. And everything, everything in the room, everything, everything we've ever seen or, or will ever see is vibrating. Right. And um, and this is why people often say um, that you need to raise your vibration, which basically means you need to um, shine brighter. It means you mm-hmm. need to um, give up fear and adopt love as your sort of primary decision-making philosophy, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, And I think that some people say that love has the highest vibration of all. Um, and yeah, I've always been fascinated with, with the phenomenon of love. What is it in fact 
um, some people say it's just an emotional reaction. Other people say it's it's got a wavelength. Um, but um, yeah, raising other people's vibration, I think, is another nice way to look at it. How do you mm -hmm. raise someone else's vibration? How can you connect? Um, well, this this is the question. <clears throat> excuse me, that I ask all my guests is how do you define real love? Very interesting. I, I mean, you know, because of my name, I was, I was sort of obsessed with, with the phenomenon of love um, for years and um, always wanted to understand what it was and how to find it and how to keep it. And, um, and I heard a, a monologue delivered by a mentor the other day, not my mentor, but a mentor of a friend of mine. And it really blew me away. And I realized that not only had until that moment, had I not fully understood love at all, but um, that, that practically everything I'd ever been told and everything I'd ever heard about love was not wrong, but misleading. And and I was just sort of completely gobsmacked by it. And I wanted to get a copy of this recording, but I wasn't able to. Um, so I really need to, I really need to track it down again. Um, I just need to ask my friend to kind of stream it for me. But it basically runs along the lines of that love is basically what holds everything in the universe together. Mm. Um, and that everything you know, everything in this room that I'm sitting in is in this room because by and large, I have a relationship of love with it. Um, you could list all the foods in the fridge are the foods that I love. Um, and, you know, all my pots and pans are the pots and pans that I love. Um, the point is that we are surrounded by love all the time. We're absolutely soaked in it. Um, and, um, and so the idea of, looking for love is a sort of nonsensical misunderstanding and the idea of not knowing love or not experiencing love is also a misunderstanding um and it's almost like love and romance are completely unrelated right um romance is the fairy tale version I don't even know what romance is anymore. Um, <laughs> um, Me neither. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I, for a long time, I wondered whether or not love was related to gravity or magnetism mm. and whether or not, in fact, it was all one and the same thing. Um, and I never really managed to drill down to that very deeply. Um, but yeah the other thing i mean i've heard lots of this i used to collect proverbs and i was very um got lots of nice proverbs about love um obviously john lennon said all you need is love and that's very very elegant and nice nice simplification mm -hmm. um another one is um there are only four questions of any real importance in life um what is the greatest thing in the world what is sacred what is worth living for and what is worth dying for and the answer in all four cases is, is the same only love oh. um and then yeah and then rumi the the um sufi mystic um, which i love i mean it's my favorite yeah yeah he's so cool um and he said that it's not your mission to find love it's your mission to identify and remove every barrier that you've built against love against love <laughs> yeah 
Um, and love I'm love is the bridge. Love is the bridge to everything. Mm. I've also heard that love is is the path of least resistance, mm. which is quite a lovely idea. Mm -hmm. If you could only learn to love the person next to you truly, um, that would just solve all your problems. You wouldn't need to keep looking for a new partner all the time. You just learn to love the one that you got. Um, and um, it's full, full and complete acceptance of who they are, and full and complete acceptance of who you are. That's the self-love. Exactly, exactly. And then another beautiful one is um, the greatest thing you will ever learn is simply to love and be loved in return. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is that it's easy to love someone else, but it's apparently very difficult to allow yourself to be loved. Mm -hmm. um, and why that is, I don't think I fully understand. But, mm -hmm. yeah. What do you think is the greatest uh, lesson that you want to tell your son or teach your son? Um, well, he already understands love intimately. <laughs> I'm not sure of that. I tell him I love him probably a hundred times a day. Aww, that's so um, sweet. Yeah. Yeah. We sing it across the house at each other. <laughs> Give me an example. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like, I love you. Yeah. And then you, you sort of, and then you hear it. Um, it makes it makes life feel so much more joyful and full. Yeah, I think that I don't know. There's 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 two or three that are really stand out as being above above and beyond everything else. I do think though that um, the central mes message of Buddhism is I I according to my understanding, is the same as the central message of Hinduism, which is unattachment without indifference, mm -hmm. um, which Gandhi s s sort of paraphrased as being renounce and rejoice. Mm -hmm. And unattachment, I used to think that unattachment was unattachment to things, unattachment to people, unattachment to possessions, in order to not feel the disappointment of the loss when eventually they're taken away and it was because I misunderstood that that I that I didn't become a Buddhist and I, I wish that I had paid more attention to what it meant back then but um, um, it's not an attachment to things or people it's an attachment to the outcome of events mm. um, and um, the, so the non-judgment you're supposed to be unattached to the outcome of events so so, so you're unattached to whether you get the job or not. Right. Or you're, un you're unattached as to whether or not your company survives or not. Mm -hmm. And to whether or not, I mean, yeah. The person's going to love you back and stay with you for however oh, long. Absolutely. I think it's a great example. Um, exactly. The outcome. It's the outcome you're going to be unattached to. But, um, but the second part of it is about um, not being indifferent. So... And that's the essential second part. Um, and so what that means is that you may, 
you recognize that it doesn't matter if you get the job or not, but you still give it your very best shot. Right. You know that it doesn't matter if you get to school on time or not, but you still run to get the bus. Um, and being unattached to the outcome of events, I think, is the answer to a very, very significant number of problems that we face on a daily basis. Mm. It could even be as high as 80, 90%. Um, there was, um, and there's a few different stories of people who, you know, um, philosophers and Zen masters who have, who have made it very, very, very clear to people that the one thing that makes them truly happy is that they don't care what happens. You, you, you don't no. care, but you continue to, to be caring. It's not, it's not that they don't care. Sorry, I, did, I, I used the wrong word. They don't mind what happens. Ah, uh-huh. They do care, but they don't mind, if you like. You, you do care and you, and you remain open-hearted. Yeah. Um, it doesn't bother them, you know. Right. Um, and, yeah. I do think that because life has, has its ups and its downs and, and <clears throat> there is no getting around it. Right. Um, you know, we can be tremendously lucky and have a run of luck for however long, but sooner or later disaster rears its ugly head and this goes around. It, it, it's, it's a repetitive um, cycle. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and if you are of the sort of disposition where your life is severely disrupted every time there's a dip or a trough um you're going to be a mess you're going to be it's going to be an emotional roller coaster and not only is it not fair on yourself to put yourself through that but it makes you far less effective as a source of stability for the people that you love um well and 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 not and not um ignoring your feelings you know i'm just even for grief you know, grief or loss, it's like, just be in your feelings and know that they will pass and know that some sort of lesson or goodness will come out of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, an acceptance, um, attachment without indifference, um, which is, which is very much a sort of acceptance type Mm -hmm. philosophy, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um, I remember um, going back to that book that I was given, If Life is a Game, These are the Rules. Um, I remember giving it to one of my friends and he said to me that he found it very interesting that acceptance was not only the first chapter, but also the longest. Mm. And I said, why is that interesting? And he said, because his mother had always taught him that acceptance was the most important lesson of all. Wow. And I said to him, "Um, surely it can't be more important than compassion. And... I still to this day don't know which is more important, but um, I was, I was, again, I was in my early thirties and realized one day that although I thought that I had learned the lesson of acceptance, I I didn't have a clue. Um, And um, I think that's been one of the most powerful things that I've ever experienced in terms of improving my quality of life on a day by day basis is, Mm -hmm. is learning or teaching myself, I suppose, that um, very controversial idea, uh, um, 
which is that the world is already perfect. Right. Um, and um, how you explain that to somebody in a war zone, I do not know. Right. Um, but the world has always been in perfect balance. Um, it's impossible for it to be out of balance. Um, if you think of the, the river flowing down the mountain, you'd say, well, it's in a state of imbalance because it's got potential energy and, you know, there's a gradient. And you say, well, you're only looking at part of it. There's a, there's a whole hydrological cycle where, you know, the water is evaporating from the ocean and it's, it's, it's you know, it's imbalanced. It's, yeah, it's this homeostasis so cycle. And you're, you're looking at that little point and saying, oh, it's out of balance. It's like, well, you, you, you're missing the big picture, mate. Um, and, um, you know, one of the examples I think that was quite useful for me was um, looking at Donald Trump. Um, and you could say, you know, that the, the amount of divisiveness is absolutely mind boggling. Um, but one of the incredible outcomes of of his leaving the Paris climate deal was that all the American cities formed a pact to ignore um, the federal policy and and to to meet their climate goals anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got you know Trump doing this sort of brute force attack on the American Constitution, and what he's inadvertently done is um, given everybody. I mean you know. Basically, it's the, the law of unintended consequences, isn't it? Um, um, they're, 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 although he may appear to be, when you look at him in isolation, a, a source of deep instability, he is actually inadvertently creating extraordinary levels of stability, mm. um, some of which we haven't even seen yet. Mm. Um, you know, I imagine that in the following years, um, the American Senate and um, and the House of Representatives will severely um, reinforce the Constitution in various ways that that fundamentally prohibit any sort of nonsense like this ever again. Mm -hmm. um, fortunate then that he was so incompetent. Some people might disagree with you, but oh, I imagine. <laughs> America. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but this but this whole idea of of acceptance. It's like, you know, what am I here to learn? How am I here to grow? How am I here to, you know, explore my own sense of uh love and acceptance and finding my own light and purpose and, you know, living out the greatest expression of who I am and who I, you know, what's possible for me in my life. Yeah. For your benefit and everyone else's. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not self in isolation, but because, because this, you know, the, the, my mantra of the podcast is the most important relationship you'll ever have is the one you have with yourself. But that doesn't mean it's selfish. It's not that self indulgent, you know, it's all about me, but it's, it all, it starts with me. It starts with me and it always comes back to me because I'm the only one uh, that I'm in control of. And I'm the only one that can express, you know, the best parts of myself and explore, you know, the shadow sides of myself to teach me the lessons of love and acceptance in communion with 
you know, the people around me and the world around me. Yeah, I think um, if we accept that we cannot change other people, we can show them the door, but they have to walk through it and frequently they refuse. Um, then one of the hardest things that we ever have to do is accept that we can't change people, particularly our loved ones who may be really suffering. Right. Um, all we can really do is change ourselves. Right. Um, and and in that is is our mission um, to become, you know, a guide and a and a and an inspiration to the people who are who need to find their courage. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, step into who they who they who they could be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it's like the good. it's like the Al Anon, you know, uh, little prayer. You know, courage to change the things I can. You know, and um, what is it again? <laughs> Accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very powerful message, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It all starts do, and I ends with really you. That, sorry, what's that? I said it all starts and ends with you. Yeah. I do think that, I do think that without our ability to accept the way that the world is and to accept the way that other people are and to accept the way that they've chosen to express themselves and accept the way that they've chosen to behave. If you can't accept all that, mm-hmm. then you will be in a constant state of being up in arms, banging your drum, Resistance. Banging your drum mm-hmm. Um, complaining about everyone's behavior, complaining about how you've been treated, complaining about the way the world was. It was like this before you were born. <laughs> it's not personal. Right. I'm not doing it just to annoy you. Right. Um, it's got nothing to do with you. That's just right. the way it all is. Right. And how is and how is fighting against what is benefiting you? Absolutely, completely wasted energy. Energy. And 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 but the thing is that it's you that suffers mm-hmm. by living in a state of constant conflict right. with reality. Right. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's an extraordinary um, mistake. Um, and, you know, I think uh, one of the things that I have struggled with for the last few years um, is you know, does that mean that you don't campaign for Greenpeace? Does that mm-hmm. mean that you don't write to your politician? Does that mean that you don't, you know? Um, so where do you draw the line between banging your drum and and putting your drum away completely and just sort of meditating for the rest of your life? Um, and I think that is, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Um, where do you draw the line? Um, and I think that I think that's where unattachment without indifference comes in. <laughs> right. That that you're that you're passionate about something, and that you find uh, you know you find. Yeah. When you go and down, go and lie down at night, you switch off, and you do not let the state of the world 
vex you for even a nanosecond. So watching the news, so watching the news <laughs> doesn't Trump, affect you. <laughs> if Trump had not become president, I wouldn't read the news. <laughs> it's like the most extraordinary. Well, starting January 5th, you can stop reading the news. <laughs> he's still going to keep going. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's, that's why he uses his own Twitter feed and not POTUS. Yeah. This has been a fascinating conversation, Valentine. I'm sure we were will we will have many, many more. Oh, I, I would love that. I really <laughs> this. How how do people uh, find out more about your work and uh, what you're doing in the world? Banging your drum. <laughs> Respectfully, yeah. I, I I mean the World Indigenous Forum is has its own website, worldindigenousforum.com. Mm -hmm. Um World Indigenous Carbon also has its own website, exactly the same, worldindigenouscarbon.com. If you're a conscious corporation and you want to go carbon neutral, um, we will sell you carbon credits that will give you carbon neutrality and your funds will be channeled into um indigenous frontline forestry protectors. Um, so that's very much worth doing. And then I also run a company called Impact Angel, which is impactangel.org. Okay. Um, where, um, I would love to hear from you if you're a conscious um, or ethical brand um, who is looking for yeah, strategy consulting or investment readiness coaching. Um, and of course, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Yay. <laughs> uh yeah, you're you're an amazing person, and you know your your own. Oh, I'm so happy to uh, have the privilege to have you with me today. <laughs> um, you've you've transformed your life in amazing ways, and I know that you are transforming the world. And uh, yeah, you're an amazing conscious conscious man, human being. I'm so grateful to have met you and, you know, thank you so much for the work you're doing. Um, you know, you've got the mouthpiece um, and it's so important. Yeah. You know. Thank you. So for anyone who has listened uh, here today, if you feel like this conversation would benefit anyone that you know, you know, please subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast and share with your friends because this is my mission and mes message out to help everybody in the world love and accept themselves first so that they can love and accept each other. Um, so please subscribe, share with your friends and uh, listen, <laughs> listen and pass it along. Share the love, <laughs> help everybody wake up to real love. So um, thank you for listening and we will see you guys next time. And every day, wake up to more and more real love. Take care, everyone. Bye. Subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast, leave five-star reviews, and of course, share with your friends. You can find Dawn on various social media platforms at Dawn Richard or at The Awakening with Dawn.